Well, we are back in our series in Proverbs. Uh, we'll be here for many more weeks, uh, and we are now on chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them and find chapter 3. And while you're doing that, um, by way of a brief introduction, this is a, this is a long passage, so I'm only going to say a few things to start, and then we're going to get right into it, and hopefully not go too long this morning. Um, I think that this passage in particular speaks to a, uh, a need that many of us feel, something that the world is trying desperately to figure out and it can't seem to get it together, something that we all want, uh, which is how do we live a good life? And more specifically, how do we live a happy, blessed life? All of us want to be happy, all of us want to be blessed, all of us want to um, have a good life in this world and Every human, it's a desire that we have, and the world uh, is desperately trying to figure it out and and failing. And what they've come up with is that happiness is the ultimate goal of our lives. Uh, It's all throughout our culture that the ultimate good for us is to be happy, and so you should make yourself happy at all costs. That's what the world will tell us, and they'll tell you, hey, your friends aren't making you happy? Cut them out. Get rid of them. You don't need them. Your spouse is making you happy? Your, Your marriage isn't fulfilling? Well, just divorce her. Get out of there. Uh, you don't need her. You, you're, the, you're the most important thing, and your happiness is the highest good uh, in our culture today. Because we do desire to be happy, and that's something we want. We want to have a good life. We want to have a blessed life. And I think Proverbs chapter 3, as we get into it now, will give us the answer for that. Uh, the real answer, not the one the world is trying to figure out, but how do we become happy? How do we become blessed? And so we're going to go ahead and start reading uh, in chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to break it up slightly differently than normal because I actually think the whole passage is just telling us one main point, and then it just keeps unpacking it further and further. Um, So we'll just go through it section by section, and it'll probably be a little top-heavy. We're going to spend a lot of time in the first half of the passage, and then at the end we'll hit a few things quickly. So let's read here, starting in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. We're going to stop there for now. This is, uh, hopefully you guys have heard this passage before, I think one of the most famous passages, certainly in the book of Proverbs, but really in in all of Christianity, a very beloved passage. How many of you guys have memorized verses 5 and 6? Like just quick show of hands. It's one of the most popular memory verses of all time. Um, We love this passage, and it's for good reason. It's because it's a comforting passage, and because it gives us an insight into what I was just talking about. How do we live well? How do we live a good life? And so simply, to put it, Here's the point that Solomon's going to make over and over and over again in chapter 3 and the point that he just made in five different ways in those first ten verses. If 
we obey God, we will be blessed. It's not necessarily a hard passage to understand. It's not a. It's really a simple, straightforward uh, thing that Solomon sets up here. If you obey God, if you obey God's law, if you obey, obey God's instructions, then you will be blessed. It's that straightforward, and yet somehow it feels like it's not that straightforward. And so we're going to read through chapter 3. And those first 10 verses, the ones that we all know, this, this very famous passage that we know from the book of Proverbs, in every two verses, all Solomon is doing is giving us another example of what that I just said. So verses 1 and 2, he says, this is what you need to do. If you do this, if you obey God in this way, God will bless you in this way. 3 and 4, he says, all right, if you obey God in this way, God will bless you in this way, and so on and so forth down the page. And I think you'll be able to see it easily on here if you look at those first 10 verses. The odd verses, 1, 3, 5, 7, 9, that's what we do. That's our part in the equation. If we obey God, 1, 3, 5, 7, 9, then God responds by blessing us in the even verses, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10. And so we're going to just go straight through these. Um... Each one, we're going to look at each pairing and see if we can apply it to our lives. How are we going to live a blessed life? How are we going to obey God? Let's see as we read again through this passage, starting with verses 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. If you remember my sermon on Proverbs 1 two weeks ago, and this is going to keep coming up throughout the book of Proverbs, whenever... The Father is saying, don't forget my teaching. Almost always that word teaching is the word Torah. He's talking about God's law. It's not like he's making up teaching out of nowhere. The Father has given his son. Solomon has taught his son God's laws. And so he reminds him again, as he will repeatedly do through the rest of the book, and already has, don't forget God's law, which I have taught you, but let your heart keep it. And what happens when we keep God's law Verse 2, length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Now this is really interesting. It says that literally if we keep God's law, length of days and years of life will be added to us. Um, And very practically, all things being equal, people who follow God's law will be on average healthier than people who don't. God's laws, God created this entire universe. Uh, God is the one who created us. And so his laws were designed for us to flourish. He knows what's best for us. Uh, He is our Father, our Creator, and so His laws, when we follow them, end up being good for us. Physically, health-wise, we live longer. In general, all things being equal, of course, we do live in a fallen world. But just as as an easy example, think about the idea that we're told as Christians that we're supposed to uh, have moderation when we drink alcohol. And everybody's going to do that in a different way. You might, you know, however you work that out in your own life is fine. But the, the command in Scripture is for us to not get drunk. We're not supposed to fall into drunkenness. We're supposed to be careful and have moderation in the way we are with alcohol. And so you can think about it. Someone who follows God's law and doesn't get drunk every night, in general, is going to be healthier than the person who doesn't follow God's law and goes out drinking and has a hangover the next day and this whole thing. God's laws are designed for our flourishing in this life. They are good for us, literally good for us. And of course, we also know that when we follow God's law, not only are years added to our earthly life, but ultimately years are added when we follow Christ. We can't follow his law perfectly, but he followed it perfectly. He did it for us. And so as we follow after him, trying to follow that law, we know that ultimately we will have eternal life with him. 
And it's not just days that it adds to your life. It's not just, you know, you get a few extra hours because you didn't drink as much because you were a Christian. But it adds peace to your life. This is that Hebrew word shalom. You might have heard this word before. It does mean peace, but it's a holistic kind of peace. It's not just that you and your neighbor don't argue and fight all the time. It's that you and your neighbor have a good relationship. You're not just kind of at peace with everyone, making it your way through life, but you have a full life. You're at peace with everyone around you. And so the more we follow God's laws, the more blessed our life will be, not just in length, but in the way we go about it, in the way we interact with people around us. And so for us, as we are thinking about Proverbs 3, how do we apply this? Uh, we, if we're going to follow God's laws, we need to actually know his laws. Um, so as you go out of here today and you're trying to think, all right, I want to have a good life. I want to be blessed by God, which means I need to follow his laws, which means you got to get into his word. you got to know the laws in order to follow them. And so every day we should be striving to understand more and more of who God is and what he wants from us. And the more we do that, the more blessed our life will be. We'll keep moving now into verses 3 and 4. Here's our next example that Solomon gives. Next example of blessing, obedience leading to blessing. Verse 3, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Those words, uh, steadfast love and faithfulness, don't typically apply to us. Almost always when we're talking steadfast love and faithfulness, it's God who has shown that steadfast love and faithfulness to us. And what Solomon reminds his son is, hey, God's shown you this love. You need to keep that love close and show it to other people. You need to have that love close to you. Bind it around your neck. Solomon picks up on this um, verse you guys have probably heard before in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Moses is giving the law. He's giving them this commandment, love the Lord. He's telling them all the laws over again. And in Deuteronomy 6, 6, he says, These words I command you shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. So Solomon is just saying that he's been doing what he was told to do in the first place. He's taught his son well. He's taught him Torah. They would, the word was always in their house, and now he's reminding his son, hey, keep that. Bind it to you. Bind it around your neck so you always have it with you. In fact, write it in stone on your heart. Those tablets of your heart, the tablet of your heart, it's like the same tablets that the Ten Commandments were written on initially. It's the, it's the tablets that the law are written on. Have the tablets of the law inside of you. Know the law. And what happens when you do that? You find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. I think it's pretty obvious that we find favor in the sight of God when we uh, follow his laws. That makes a lot of sense to us. But it's even more than that. Not only are we at right, in a right relationship with God as we're following him, but that with people around us, we start to gain favor the more that we look like our loving and faithful father. Uh, it's, think about it, right? Do you like hanging out with people who are jerks? Or would you rather spend time with people who love you and care about you? Uh, do you like friends who are unfaithful and never do what they say and are all, you never know where they're at or what they're doing? Or do you like a faithful friend who's always there by your side? Again, God's laws are made for our flourishing. They're, they're good in and of themselves. They, when we follow them, when we love people with the love God has shown us, uh, naturally they like us better, hopefully. That, of course, is not always the case because we know that um, the world hates Christ and therefore us who follow him. But in general, when you're nice to people, they like you more. 
If you're at work during the week and you go out of your way to be loving towards your coworkers, you're going to gain favor in your workplace. If you are a friend and your friend wants you to come and see their concert and you say, I'll be there at 7 o'clock, and you show up at 7 o'clock, do it. Then you're, then you're gaining favor with your friends. You're being a faithful friend. And that's what happens when we bind God's word around our necks and on the tablet of our heart. So we'll keep moving to 5 and 6, these famous memory verses that we all know. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Um, there's a reason we like this passage, this verse so much to memorize. It's because it brings us comfort, right? We know that, all right, I can trust in God, and then my path is going to be straight. He is going to make it straight. And as I was thinking about this verse, I was thinking about how exactly does God make our path straight. So we need to trust in him. We need to acknowledge him, lean on our own understanding. That means when we're having some problem, some issue, something we're facing, instead of sitting down and getting out a piece of paper and mapping out a chart of how am I going to figure this out, we just stop and we say, God, I need you. I need you to help me figure this out. I can't, I don't have, my own understanding is not going to work here. I need your ways. His ways are higher than our ways. And so we lean on him uh, in times of trouble, in times in our life where our path feels like it's not straight. We lean on him. But I think uh, the way that he actually makes our path straight, it's not like you have a problem and you're like, oh wait, I've been relying on my own strength. Let me rely on God's strength. And then he just comes in and blows up the rock out of your path and it's wide open. Um, The reality is that God's path is straight. And the more we follow his ways, the more we're on that straight path. Instead of trying to figure out our own, we get the map out and we're trying to find our own path. We're in the weeds, cutting down stuff, trying to make our own way. Or we could just go on God's way that's already straight and already open and already ready to go because his way is better than what we can come up with on our own. Again, the application is really simple. Uh, if you want to know God's way, you've got to ask him. You can't just try and figure something out on your own. You've got to go to his word and go to him in prayer. Don't sit there and bang your head against the wall and worry about all the problems in your life. Take them to the Lord in prayer. And when we do that, peace that surpasses understanding will guard our hearts. And we're able to walk on the straight path and not be worried about our life because we're following God's way. Verses 7 and 8, very similar. Basically the same advice in verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Uh, Verse 7, be not wise in your own eye. Very similar to lean not on your own understanding. Basically the same thing. And really what verse 7, it says the same thing three times. If you are being not wise in your own eyes, that means you are fearing the Lord and you're turning away from evil. If you fear the Lord, you turn away from evil and you trust him and not your own eyes. If you're turning away from evil, that means you are fearing the Lord. It's just this whole circular thing here where Solomon is saying the wise person, the person who fears God, the beginning of wisdom, uh, the person who acknowledges him and doesn't lean on their own understanding, for that person it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. I think this could be literal healing uh, where you follow God and he chooses to heal something that's going wrong in your life. It's certainly a spiritual healing, right? When we come into communion with Christ and we follow him as our Lord and Savior, we are completely washed clean of all of our sin infirmities. We are made right with him, and so we are healed in that way. But I also think it's, a, it's this idea of this refreshment to your bones. While you're on this path, while you're on this straight path that God is making for you, um, you don't have to be anxious as you walk along it. You are refreshed 
because God's yoke is easy and his burden is light, you know that you're following his way, and so you're refreshed by that because you don't have to figure it out on your own. Um, You're going with God, and he is healing you and refreshing you along the way. You're, You're secure along this path when you're following his way and not your own. And so for us, we need to not be anxious Right? When we think about these, this memory verse that we know, hopefully it's something that helps us to not be anxious to, instead of worrying about it and trying to figure it out on our own, we turn to prayer. We turn to prayer. When you start to feel anxious about something, you go, wait a minute, I've got to bring this before the Lord and acknowledge Him and not my own ways. Finally, the last one here, verses 9 and 10, the last in a string of, of obedience equals blessing. Verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. The Lord commands us to give back to him and this, what's happening in this verse is that as we realize more and more that all that we have is from God in the first place, we realize that God has provided for us already We give back to him sacrificially out of what we have. It could be money, but it could also be your time, your resources. You invite people over to your house and you feed them. You serve in some way or another. You help people. You sacrifice of your own. And when you do that, the Lord pours out plenty and blessing on you. And you realize that, man, yeah, God's still providing for me. God's still providing for me. It's not like all of a sudden I started giving to him and he stopped providing for me. But the more we give, Bill said earlier, it's about our dependence on God. We give to him and that helps us to know that we're dependent on him and we recognize he's been providing for us this whole time. It's a cycle of giving and recognizing how God provides for us. So of course, another easy application, uh, we need to give sacrificially. Again, it doesn't have to be money, but we give out of what God has given us abundantly in the first place. So that's the main point of Proverbs 3 is that those five verses, they all zero in on this main point of The pattern is the same. If you obey the Lord, you will be blessed. But some of you might be having a few questions at this point in the uh, the passage. Um, Some that came up for me as I was reading it. First of all, it doesn't always seem like this is the case. Um, There are many Christians who follow God day in and day out. They love him. They follow his laws. And it doesn't seem like they're being blessed. And then I think the other question that this raises is one of, it kind of, when you read especially verses 9 and 10, there's like a little alarm, like, wait a minute, we don't want to fall into the prosperity gospel here. What is this talking about? There is this, maybe you know this already, but there is a a movement, uh, a false teaching that is running rampant in the U.S. and and all over the world that Christianity is about, you, you become a follower of God and then you are blessed. And what that looks like is, all right, I'm following God, and so now I get a new car. I'm following God, and now I'm healthy all the time, and my grandma's healed. And I'm following God, and so he blesses me with a promotion. And it's this idea of you're living your best life now. It's this health, wealth, and prosperity right now in this world. That's the point of that type of Christianity, and that is a false teaching. That is not biblical. And you don't even have to leave this passage to know that. Certainly everywhere in the Bible, there are many passages that refute that idea. Of course, we know that following Christ is picking up your cross and following him even unto death. That doesn't sound very prosperous. But even in this life, even or even in this passage, I mean, uh, already Solomon is saying, 
make sure you're understanding correctly what this blessing looks like. So for this next section that we're going to read from 11 to 18, Solomon is going to clarify, yes, if you obey God, you will be blessed. But that blessing may look different than you think it's going to look. So here's verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver and her profit is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are of peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her, and those who hold her fast are called blessed. As you're reading Proverbs chapter 3, you read those first 10 verses, and it's this really nice pattern of, okay, obey the Lord and we're blessed, obey the Lord and we're blessed. All of a sudden, in verse 11, he starts talking about discipline. My son, don't despise the Lord's discipline. Where did that come from? Don't be weary of his reproof. And verse 12 is not exactly a promise of blessing, but a a reason for why we should not despise the Lord's discipline. Why shouldn't we despise it? Because the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father, the son, in whom he delights. And so we get a little confused. We're like, well, where did discipline? I thought we were talking about blessing. I don't don't want to talk about discipline. I want to talk about blessing. What happened? And what Solomon is reminding his son here and reminding us here is that the Lord's discipline is a blessing. This whole passage is about blessing, and then he starts talking about discipline. He hasn't changed subjects. It's still a blessing. Discipline, the Lord's discipline is a blessing because the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. He disciplines his children. This is what the world just cannot seem to figure out. Uh, We have such a hard time wrapping our minds around the idea that God's blessings could look different than we want them to look. Remember our favorite verse, 5 and 6? In all your ways acknowledge him. Trust in the Lord. Don't don't lean on your own understanding. His ways are higher than ours. And so when we think, all right, if I follow God, I'll be blessed, we're thinking, all right, new car. I'll follow God, I'll be blessed, I'll I'll be healed. I'll follow God, I'll, I'll get a promotion. And the reality is that God, if you follow God, you obey him, one of the blessings that he is going to put in your life is hard times. He's going to allow you to go through suffering. Uh, It's not, and that is a blessing. If you're not being disciplined by the Lord, maybe you're not uh, in. Maybe you're not a son or daughter of him because that is who he disciplines. And we just can't figure it out. We think that if God is love, then it must have to go well with me, right? If I follow him and, and he's going to bless me, that means everything's going to be good. And he, he, we know he works out all things for the good of those who love him. So why is stuff not working out for good for me? And it's because we don't understand how God works. We're told that God is love in First John. And that necessarily means that anything that he does ever in Scripture, we read about an act that God does, it is a loving act because he is love in the first place. That includes when we go through things that don't seem very much like a blessing to us. Think about um, James chapter 1. James tells us that we should count it as joy when we face suffering. We should count it as joy when we face suffering because God uses suffering to produce perseverance in us, perseverance in our faith. I think of also uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 where he has this thorn in his flesh. 
There was nobody who was obeying God more than Paul. He was truly obeying God unto death. He completely followed him, no matter what the cost to his own life. And yet he had this thorn in his flesh that that was given to him. And he prayed three times, Lord, take this away. And and God didn't take it away because it was there for a reason. It was a blessing, that thorn in Paul's flesh. It was a blessing as a result of obedience because God was helping Paul to be humble. I hope we can see how uh, discipline, in fact, is a blessing that all of the things we go through in our life, God uses for good and uses to help us to grow. But it's a really hard application, right? It looks like us, when we face something, we get fired. The car breaks down. We don't get that promotion. We don't seem to be gaining favor with God and man. Our vats don't seem to be overflowing with wine. It seems like these blessings aren't coming like it says they will in the first ten verses. That's where we have to remember to trust in the Lord, that he knows what's best for us, that his ways are higher than our ways. And that's going to take uh, a lot of prayer. It's going to take growing as a Christian, maturing, to be able to not just complain and be like, God, why are you doing this to me? What, how could you do this? But instead to say, God, help me to persevere through this. Please take it away, but help me to get through this. I know that it is in your will. Solomon continues in verse 13. He shifts focus again to wisdom all of a sudden. We went from discipline, now we're talking about wisdom. And first he says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom. So so far he's been saying, if you obey God, then you'll be blessed. And here he says, if you find wisdom, you will be blessed. And so what that means is that obeying God is finding wisdom. Think about this. This This is the chain you can think about. Who is blessed? The one who finds wisdom. Who finds wisdom? The one who fears the Lord. We learned that in the first seven verses. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And what is the fear of the Lord? What do we do if we fear the Lord? We obey him, right? And so in verse 13, all Solomon does here is just restate what he's been saying the whole time in a different way. If you obey God, you will be blessed. If you have wisdom, if you find wisdom, you will be blessed. It's all the same thing. Obeying God leads to wisdom and leads to blessing. And it's really interesting what he says next. He doesn't launch back into a list of all the blessings you're going to receive. He starts talking about wisdom itself. 14, for the gain from wisdom is better than the gain from silver. The wisdom's profit is better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than jewels. And nothing you desire can compare with wisdom. Did you catch that last part? Nothing that we desire can compare with wisdom. Certainly there are good things to desire, Uh, We do desire that all lost people come to know the Lord and to be saved. Of course, that's a great desire. Um, It's even good to desire that you have enough to provide for your family. Of course, we desire that we have enough in this life in order that we can provide and and live well in this life. But Solomon is is anticipating people who say, all right, my vats will be filled with plenty. That's what I want. I want wisdom so I can be rich. I want wisdom so I can find favor with people. He's saying, no, 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 you've missed the point. Wisdom is better than anything you can desire. It's better than the car. It's better than the promotion. Wisdom is the ultimate blessing that we can receive from the Lord. And so when we obey God and then are therefore blessed, we realize that wisdom is actually the blessing itself. It's another circle, right? The more we know God, the more we know wisdom, the more we're blessed by that, the more we go and know God more. It's just this big crescendo throughout our lives of realizing that wisdom is the greatest blessing that we can receive from God. But then Solomon finishes off 
ironically, in verse 16, he starts talking about the, the physical blessings again. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and her paths of peace. She's a tree of life. And so what we find is, even though wisdom is the greatest blessing, when we pursue wisdom, other blessings follow. Uh, it directly mirrors Solomon's life. He's just speaking from experience here. God asked him, 1 Kings chapter 3, what, I'll give you anything you want. He says, I want wisdom. He correctly identified that wisdom is greater than anything he could desire. And because he did that, then he got wealth and he got everything else. Um, it's still true that acting wisely will lead to better results in this life than foolishly. If you seek wisdom as, as the best thing you could get, and then you act wisely with your money, you end up with more money. But if you act foolishly with your money, you end up with less money in general. And so Solomon is reminding his son and saying, hey, keep your priorities straight. Seek God not because you want a new car. Seek God because you want to seek God, because you want wisdom from him. And when you do that, he blesses you with wisdom. And above and beyond, the more wise you are, the more blessings you will find in this life. That's another, uh, another hard task, though, to realize that Wisdom is the greatest desire that we can have because our desires are fallen. We do have some good desires, but we're also sinful and fallen people, and so we desire things that aren't good for us. We desire um, things that will lead us into a mess, and so we need to, as we head out of here this morning, pray that God would give us the right desires, that God would change our desires, that we would desire wisdom, desire what is higher than everything else. Okay, well, we've made it about halfway through the passage, and we only have a few minutes left here, so we're going we're gonna to finish up with this last part. So far, Solomon has told us, if you obey God, you will be blessed. And then he's inserted a little note in there to say, you will be blessed, but it might not look like what you think it might look like. It might look like suffering, uh, and it might not be the things you desire, but there's a greater thing that you should desire. And so as we're thinking about, all right, how can we leave here this morning, take Proverbs 3, and go live a blessed life? We want that. We want to be happy. We want to be blessed. We want to live well in this world. Solomon's going to finish Proverbs chapter 3 with two practical examples. The first one, he's going to tell us, if we obey God, he's going to expound on what the blessing is going to be. We know that wisdom is the blessing, but there's another specific blessing that Solomon's going to show us here, starting in verse 19. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. And so now that Solomon has really hammered home this idea of obedience leads to blessing, he says, all right, so if you obey God, if you keep sound wisdom and discretion, then you will be secure. You will be secure in this life. He starts off by saying that it's by wisdom that the Lord founded the earth you think wisdom is the greatest thing you could desire? It's so much better than everything else that God actually founded everything using wisdom. 
And quickly he follows it up and says, remember that. Keep sound wisdom. Don't lose sight of it. Don't lose sight of it. And it will be life for you. It will adorn your neck. And then what happens? We walk securely. Think about this. I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think we already kind of talked about it at the beginning. If God is the one who created the world, and then we follow God's laws, we have kind of the inside track on life. We, we see behind the scenes. We know how it started. We know how it's going to end. And we are secure as we go through this life. When we follow his laws, when we have his wisdom and his knowledge to guide us, we don't have to worry about stuff that's coming down the road. We don't have to worry about how we're going to deal with this or that issue. Because we have the creator of the universe and his wisdom to help us go through this life. Can you, I mean, it's like we, have, we, we got the secret manual. We, have the, in, we, we see the inside of how the machine works. Uh, God is going to help us in this world that he has created for us. Uh, we mentioned the, the security that we have in chapter 1. It's coming back again in chapter 4, so we won't spend much longer on this point. But I think it comes back to our memory verse 5 and 6 again, right? Trust in the Lord. We don't need to be anxious in this life. He has a straight path, and all we need to do is follow his ways to be blessed on that path. When you are faced with something where you're anxious about anything, Go to the Lord in prayer. Go to him and to his wisdom, and you don't have to be anxious. You don't have to wake up in the middle of the night terrified. What am I going to do about this or that? Um, You're secure in Christ and in his wisdom. Well, finally, the last point that that Solomon's going to make here, he's told us that obedience leads to blessing. He's just explained part of the blessing. When we obey, we're secure, the blessing of security in this life. Now he's going to explain how we can obey God. He's going to, here's, a, here's one way we can obey God. Uh, really the main way, or one of the main ways. Verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, oh, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it to you when you have it with you. Don't plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Don't contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but the fools get disgrace. And so Solomon wraps up this this chapter, wraps up this passage that we're in today. Um, thinking about this idea of obedience and blessing, he tells us that if we obey the Lord by loving our neighbor, we will be blessed. If we obey the Lord in loving the people around us, that will lead to blessing. He gets really practical, and all of a sudden it's just a list of do not, starting in 27. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. A very practical way. Here's how you can obey the Lord. Here's four examples of what you shouldn't do if you want to be blessed and have a blessed life. 27, he says, don't withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. And uh, what he's talking about here, it's not exactly like, all right, so only give stuff to people if they've earned it. You know, if they're a good person, then you give them something. If it's due to them, then you give it. That's not what he's saying. Uh, it's when someone is due, they're in need, and they're due something good. Think about, in the end, when we are all finally with Christ in the new creation, everyone, there's no tears, there's no crying, there's no pain. Um, and food is one example. Everyone's full. Everyone, There's nobody who needs food. But right now, there are people who need food, and so if someone comes to you and they say, oh, man, hey, I, don't, I ran out of food. I, can you give me something? 
Um, they are due that food because that's what we're supposed to have as humans in that final creation. Everyone's, you know, that's the due that it's talking about in this passage, in this verse. And so when people ask you for something that they need and you have it, give it to them. It's very reminiscent of the Sermon on the Mount, right? If someone asks you for your cloak, give them your tunic. If someone asks you to go a mile, go two miles. Very similar, verse 28, it's related. Don't say it again to your neighbor. Come and go again. Tomorrow I will give it to you when you have it with you. Basically, if someone comes up to you, they need something, uh, and you say, you have it, but you go, oh, well, hey, I'll get you tomorrow. Let me, let me get you tomorrow. I'll see you then. When have you ever remembered that thing that you were going to give to them tomorrow, right? We don't do it. If we don't do it when we're thinking about it, it gets lost in the shuffle. We don't see them again. We forget to bring the thing they wanted. And so Solomon's saying, hey, one way you love your neighbor to, be, to then be blessed by the Lord is just give it if you have it. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Give, give it to them. And then 28 and 29, very similar to each other. Don't plan evil against your neighbor and don't contend with a man for no reason. Basically, don't be a jerk. Don't be the instigator specifically. It's possible that your neighbor's a jerk and they're contending with you, but you should never be the one starting problems with your neighbor. You should never be stirring up trouble where there is none. Solomon gives us a picture of what does it look like to love our neighbors? What does it look like to obey God and loving people around us? Which leads to blessing. And he ends, finally, the last five verses with a reminder to not envy those people. Because sometimes you look at your neighbor and they are a jerk, but it seems like they're being blessed, right? It's like, oh, well, they have a great life. Man, well, I th- I'm trying so hard to, not, to be nice to them, even though they're being a jerk to me, and look how good they're doing. And we start to feel envious. Oh, maybe I should just be a jerk too. Why would I, you know, what's the point? Solomon encourages us at the end, don't do that. Don't envy the man of violence because the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. Solomon knows that as we read this passage and think about what does it mean to be happy and blessed in this life, that we're going to see things that don't look right. We've got Job, Ecclesiastes, and a lot of Psalms that talk about how wicked people seem to be doing well. And Solomon says that's not the case. Ultimately, truly, it's the righteous who are blessed and the wicked who are cursed. Don't envy the wicked, but instead keep on going in obeying the Lord and loving your neighbor, and that is what's going to lead to ultimate blessing. And it's an easy application of love the people around you. Love the people around you. That's what we need to do. That will lead to a more blessed, happy life. So we've made it to the end of chapter 3, and I think we can say pretty confidently that what Solomon is telling us is that if we obey God, we will be blessed. And he ends it really zeroing in on this idea of loving your neighbor. And I think if you look back to the first few verses of this chapter, as we close out here today, you'll notice that he begins it by talking about really loving the Lord. And so what Solomon gives us here is a picture of love God and love your neighbor. Look at verse 3. It says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Everything else in that whole first 10 or 12 verses there is directed at God. Trust in the Lord. Acknowledge the Lord. Fear the Lord. Honor the Lord. Don't despise the Lord. And so what is verse 3 talking about? It's talking about loving the Lord. Don't stop loving the Lord. And so Solomon has basically just taken the greatest commandment, this commandment that he instilled in his children, and he's trying again to instill it in his son to say, my son, listen to me. Follow the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do that, it will go well with you in this life. You'll be blessed. You will have a fulfilled, happy life. That's the, that's the answer that the world can't seem to figure out. How, do we, how are we happy? How are we blessed in this life? 
It's by first and foremost loving God. It all comes down to loving our Lord with everything that we are. And when we do that, necessarily his love flows out from us to all the people around us. And that's where all of those blessings start to come in. God showed us his love in that he sent his son to die for us while we were still sinners. We could never have kept the law. Jesus kept the law for us. He showed us love beyond anything we could have ever imagined in bringing us back into relationship with him, saving us. And so we need to love him. And so the question for us as we leave here is, what does that look like? What does it look like to love God? If we could go home right now, walk out of here and say, I want to have a good life, a blessed life, which means I need to love God first and foremost. What does that look like? Jesus tells his disciples, it looks like if you love him, you obey his commandments. Of course, we love God. We pray to him and and express our devotion to him. We sing songs of praise to him and tell him that we love him. But ultimately, if we love God, we show that we love him by obeying his commandments, by loving our neighbor. And so we go out and we go to just be a Christian. That's, that's the answer, to love God and to love others. And I would also say as we go out of here, the last thing before we close and sing one more song, is that we have the answer. This world is just scrambling for answers. They, they want to know, how can I be happy? They try everything. They take it to the far extreme to try and make themselves happy. And we have the ultimate answer to that question in Jesus Christ, in that we love God and we love others, and that's it. That's the answer. That's how you live well in this life. And so I pray that as we leave here, uh, we would do that. We would share the hope that we have. When people see that our life is going well, that we're suffering, and yet somehow we're joyful, and they go, what is that about, man? You can tell them. You can tell them the answer that we have to love God, to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the answer to this blessed and fulfilled life. And so that is Proverbs 3. Solomon has told us if we love God, that necessarily means that we can't help but to obey him and love others, and that is how we are blessed. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the love that you have shown us, a greater love than we could have ever imagined in sending your son to die on a cross in our place, a death that we deserved. And I pray, God, that we would know that and realize that and that we would in turn love you back with everything that we are, with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we would sing and and tell about our love for you, but also, God, that we would put that love into practice in obeying you, in following your commands, in loving our neighbor, even when it's hard. I pray also, God, that you would give us a vision for what it is to have a blessed life. That in fact, it looks like loving you and loving neighbor. And that even in moments where it seems like things aren't going well, it seems like we're suffering, it seems like you're doing something that we don't understand, help us to change our desires, to desire you, to know that you are in control, to trust your ways above our ways. I pray, God, that we would go out of here ready to share with people this love that we have to tell people about the hope that we have, that we know how to live well in this life. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.